Well, thank you so much for listening to this brand new podcast. It's the Grafted Life podcast. And um, we started with a part one and part two conversation uh, that was with Kurt and Debbie Swindoll, as well as with Mark and Diane Warner. And if you haven't listened to that, we really encourage you to do that. But we're really excited just as we begin something new in the life of Grafted Life to uh, bring Debbie Swindoll back and uh, have a conversation with her again, as well as with Monica Romig-Green. And so uh, welcome, Debbie. Welcome, Monica, to this third podcast episode, very beginning stages for Grafted Life. Start by telling us where you are uh, recording this from. So how about you, Debbie? I am in my office in Plano, Texas, which is just north of Dallas. And then we also have Monica with us. Hello, Monica. So glad Hello. you're glad to join us. Where are you, where are you calling you. in from? I am calling in from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. That is just outside of Toronto on the eastern side of Canada. All right. Great. Thank you so much for being here. How long have you lived out there, Monica? Are you, are you from there? No, I'm from California, which is where I met Debbie. And my husband and I lived in Toronto for four years while he got his PhD. And actually, that's where I was when we did the majority of the writing of Life of God. Okay. And then I lived in Dallas, Texas for a couple of years and back to Southern California. And now I'm finding myself back in Canada. Yeah. Now, what what are you doing back there? What what drove you back to Canada? (laughs) I am a candidate to ordination um, uh, for the church up here. So I'm really excited to expand my ministry in that way. Wonderful. So good to have you with us. So let's talk about how the two of you met. Well, um, I learned about the program at Talbot. Um, I think it was like in 2003, maybe the spring of 2003. And, um, yeah, I became really interested in it. And I remember the first time I looked at the curriculum, I'm like, oh, every one of these classes I would choose as an elective, you know, mm-hmm. it was just so, so beautifully crafted in everything God had been leading me into. And so I ended up starting in the, two th- in the fall of 2004, which was Monica's last year. So okay. it was my first year, Monica's last year. So ironically, we did have a couple classes together that mm-hmm. my first year. And then um, my third year, I actually um, started working at Talbot in the program. And eventually, Monica and I had offices right next to each other. Which is dangerous. We were in a trailer (laughs) separated from the rest of the office. And our offices, that was a really dangerous thing. Our offices being by each other, you know. And God just cemented this this relationship where we just, we loved talking, we loved thinking through things together. And it was just a real kind of, um, I don't know, connection from the start, from the first time we had lunch together. It ended up being a long, probably like two hour lunch one day um, in the cafeteria. So yeah. What's your perspective on that, Monica? Yeah. Well, uh, my coming to the program was, uh, I was, I was in the very first class of the Institute for Spiritual Formation. So I came into something, I was what they call one of the the guinea pig class. (laughs) And, um, um, I, I had been looking, I knew that I was going to be making a major career change that 
I sensed I had discerned that God was moving me away from what I had been doing in the theater. I didn't know what was coming next. And somebody happened to tell me about this program. I read it and I knew it was it. I didn't understand. Unlike Deb, I didn't understand what all these classes were. I thought, no, this is it. This is what God wants me to do. So I just dove in with all four feet and uh, did it in three years. And and then um, upon graduation, they hired me to be on staff to sort of supervise the spiritual directors that were being um, minted, you know, coming out of the program and also to develop like the community building aspects of the program. What I remember with Deb, I don't really remember us having classes together. Maybe, you know, that makes sense. We would be in a few classes and stuff, but I remember that lunch. Deb Deb and I went to lunch in the cafeteria and there have only been a few times in my life where this is true, where I meet a person and upon meeting in that first sort of conversation, I know, I know that they're going to be essential and important in my life. Like this, this person is special. God is doing something between us and I don't know what it is and but something special is going to go on here. And I remember we both talked about that at the, at the lunch. We're like, what is happening here? <laughs> I barely know you. I know you by reputation, but like what? And then as Deb says, once our offices were next to each other and there was chocolate to be had in her office, that was it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was so far removed. We were so far removed from everybody else. My plan was get the really good chocolates. And if you have the really good chocolates, people will come. That's good. And it worked. But I just went around the corner. So, yeah. But yeah, much, we spent a lot of time just talking about what we, what we had learned, what was important to us, how we were funneling it through ourselves. You know, so it actually broke my heart when Deb and Kurt said they were moving to Texas. Mm. I, I, I thought, okay, well, that's, that's it. That was fun. I lose my friend. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't. We continue to talk. We continue to have those same conversations at a distance. Yeah. So when Deb said, I have this idea, I was like, that sounds like a great idea. I'm I'm in. Deb, I'm were in. you already in Texas when you said I have this idea? Oh yeah, we moved um in 2008. Okay. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, really, 2008 to 2009 was just a year of grieving. And uh, because we just so many losses in that whole move. But when I got the idea in the spring of 2009, and uh, Monica was the first person I called mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and talked it over with. She was our very first board member besides Kurt and I. That's right. <laughs> I was all in. <laughs> and still a board member. That's good. And I'm still a board member. Board member today. Yeah, yeah. Wrapped it back around. Yeah. No, I believed. I I thought this 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 has legs. This has traction. I think that this is something I I believe in supporting. And at that time, it wasn't all grafted life. Mm-hmm. Nelson kind of had a different kind of spin to it, but we knew God was up to something. Now you never moved out to texas did you monica i did i did at, but but first i moved to toronto so so in 2010 uh my husband who i also met at the institute for spiritual formation okay. he met people there yeah <laughs> met my husband there he wanted to get a phd and he decided toronto was the place to go so as i was moving to toronto i was letting go of this really choice you know university position with you know benefits and stability and all of this 
And I was really freaking out because I thought, I don't know who's going to hire me in Canada. Like, I don't know anybody. It was, um, I didn't know how we were going to survive. And Deb calls me up and says, uh, I have an idea. Do you want to come work for, for us? Do you want to come work for us? And, and we'll be colleagues. And, and I was like, this, and I'm like, I, I remember saying, I'm moving to Toronto, not Texas. Yeah. And she said, we can make this work. It was just the beginning of like Skype and Zoom. So we were really on the front lines of mm-hmm. everyday um, video communication for work. And I literally set up an office in a closet in our apartment mm-hmm. so that I'd have a private place to work. And then Deb and I just started talking some more. <laughs> Deb, what was it that you were suggesting that you really wanted to make work? That that What were you hoping grafted life at the time it was called something different what would be what what was on your heart um I think the church I think that when I left Talbot and we moved and I had a lot of time to think and process um one of the things that was kind of um common in the experience of the grad students there at the Institute for Spiritual Formation was that We're learning things we didn't learn in the church. And why have I not had this kind of experience in my church? Mm -hmm. And so we knew that we wanted to do something with what we'd learned, with what we'd experienced, with how we'd um, seen growth in ourselves and in others, and find a way to bring that into more church settings. And that was really the whole you know, desire, I think, behind. We didn't know exactly how we were going to do that, but mm-hmm. we knew that we were called to do something for the church in okay. the area of spiritual formation. And we really kind of used our grad experience as the incubator for those ideas. Like, well, these, this is what happened to us there. And we think these are the things that really contributed to the growth. So how can we take that stuff and package it for the church? Yeah. Yeah, how would you describe the the things that happened to you there, the growth that you were experiencing? What was so um what are some of the marks of that growth that were so appealing? I'd love to take a stab at that as a Monica. Um I I think for me it was this idea of honesty before God and others. We had a saying that, like, if you want your prayer life to be boring, be good. And if you want your prayer life to be exciting, be honest. Mm. <laughs> and there was something about understanding that God already knows all of us. And we're the ones sort of afraid to get to know ourselves. Yeah. And, to, and to have a safe place to open up our own selves before God and safe others. And that is transformative because you end up dropping all these defenses and these ideas. You, you get to expand into parts of yourself that you thought were off limits. Mm-hmm. And this, this kind of growth in trust in God, like you're, you're building your trust that God is the one who changes and transforms through love. And that also lets you drop um, all your responsibilities to fix others and take care of others, right? Like 
it, 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 it shifts fundamentally sort of your orientation to the world. Mm -hmm. Um, It provides more hope. You have, you have more vision of what could be, and yet you don't have all that weight on your shoulders that it's, it's on you to do it. It's on you to participate in the, in the ways that God invites you. And it's that kind of fundamental change. There's a healthiness to it. Like there's a relational healthiness that goes on that you just, I, I watched people before my eyes become more who they are. Mm-hmm. God meant them to be, you know, squished personalities became mm-hmm. full. Um, uh, people who thought they were one thing became another, right? And by that, like we had a friend who loves to be a pastor, but also loved food. Hmm. right never knew that god cared about his love for food it was stuff like that just watching people blossom over and over and over again and then learning some of the ways that we can come alongside and encourage that that's what deb and i had which a lot of the graduates don't right they they go through the process and appreciate it but the fact that we got to work there meant we also got to see it from the other side right right? Yeah. And so we got to see the process and how it unfolds and what's supportive of that and what's not. Because what we all need is to be loved mm-hmm. thoroughly. Yeah. So the, the way to that is the honesty that you're talking about, the the trusting that God um, actually can handle <laughs> us when we're honest, <laughs> wants to uh, be with us, even in our most real, authentic self um, in fact, that's the one that God is with, right? Right. Where have I heard that before? I think I've read <laughs> that in some of the materials. Like that's the person God is actually interested in transforming is our authentic self. And so when we can finally start to have the permission to show up, the the um, example of showing up that way, the invitation, the community. And the community. And that's one of the things that I brought to this this is Monica again with, with two, two grafted life. Like we all brought our sort of passions and the things that we were interested in. And my thing is community. I, I find that so often in our culture, this, this North American culture, we're so individualistic. We forget that, that we are to be part of a body yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and actually we're happier when we're part of a body. And so I was adamant with them, like, no, we have to do these things. There have to be in community. We have to teach people how to be in community together because that's where God, God doesn't just love individuals. God loves community, right? And and there's something, there's a gestalt that happens when everybody gets together and the spirit is moving that's beyond just a group of people, the yeah. individuals that are there. Debbie, what do you uh, uh, would you like to add to that? But some of these marks of of uh, change. Yeah, I think I'd probably just reiterate um, that. I mean, and I continue to, you know, morph this, you know, it was really interesting when I talked about, you know, like seeing it from the other side. See, I'm a person that I always want to know why it works. So I'm a systems thinker. So I will figure out why this thing works. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and I'm still doing that, you know, I'm still reading about that and trying to figure out in broader ways why this works. And, um, and I think even now I'm, I'm continue to be struck with that. Really the heart of it is the quality of the relationships. Mm-hmm. It's the quality of the relationship that's being built with God in this honest, 
being known, being loved sense. It's the quality of relationship that people are building with themselves. Like I no longer ignore all my internal stuff. Like I'm actually looking at what's really and admitting and saying and processing what's really going on with me. And then the quality of the relationships that we're having in community with other people. And now the extension of being known and loved in the body of Christ and how now a people group can become your people. (laughs) And that's really what ends up changing your character in the end is you get a new identity and you get a new people group. And now you're, you're moving, you're letting go of, and now you're starting to say, you know, those things and neuroscience, you know, talks about this, like, Oh, what do my people do? Yeah. You know, what do the people that love me do? Because mm-hmm. that's what I want to do too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So early on, you you realized this experience for you, and then for students who were following in the program was so transformative. You really thought, how how do we take this type of an experience, this three years of your life, and 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 bring it to the church that we love and would love to see this kind of transformation taking place. There's a word, a phrase that you use, Debbie, a retreat for real life, a retreat in real life. Another yeah, words, a retreat in real life. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to this idea that at that time, especially in spiritual formation, there wasn't a lot happening in the local church. There was little teeny pockets of formation stuff happening around, but it wasn't, wasn't, widely known. In fact, there were websites that really were totally against spiritual formation and always like warning people about it. Um, And so most of the formation stuff was on the fringes. It was a program you went to over here, or it was a retreat you visited over there. And our heart, again, really beat for the local church. Well, how do we move that stuff into real life, into the everyday experience of people. So they're not having to go out of their life to find it. And how do we translate graduate school, right? Because we have a graduate level experience. So we're reading philosophy and and theology, right? Like how do you take that and translate it? So it's more accessible. Mm -hmm. It can't just be this you know, our faith is not Gnostic. It can't be that only the people, the learned people get it, right? Yeah. And that's that was really part of our heart too. Like what is the core that we learned? And that's what I thought was so great what Debbie really keyed in on when she said, oh, it's about relationship. Like that, I thought she's right. That's it. Let's build from here. Like yeah. let's, let's see what we can make of this. Yeah. Spiritual direction has really been something that um, we have opened our eyes and our hearts to, um, thankfully. And and that is all about relationship. So how, just for those of us who don't know the story, how did ESDA get um, formed out of grafted life or through, through this ministry for the church and for relationship? Well, that was, that was just such a gift of God and, and both Debbie and Kurt's willingness. So I had been back at at Biola at Talbot caring for all these, you know, newly graduated spiritual directors and I was hearing their 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 woes. They would go out into the church and say, "I have this new ministry that I do. It's called cool. It's called spiritual direction." Mm-hmm. The pastors would say, "I don't know what you're talking about." And that's the end of the story. <laughs> and they, they were so deflated. They were like, "Ah, oh, 
what can we do? And I kept thinking, I wish there was somebody who had, who could back them up and say, no, this is legit. What, what we're doing is a legit ministry. And so then when I moved to Toronto, um, I'm an extrovert and um, I like collecting people. So I, I went to go find my people. Where are the spiritual directors here in Toronto? So I was meeting all of them. And so I started to have the, I, I was always kind of networking people, get, getting people to know here, there are all these different spiritual directors. And it just came to a point where uh, my husband actually said, well, what if you always started that thing, that group of spiritual directors that would have each other's back and that this could legitimize what this ministry is for the church. Mm-hmm. And we were standing in the office and I mentioned it, this, this idea, and it was Kurt who said, mm-hmm. we could do that. Mm-hmm. I can do that. We can do that. And Deb was like, what? Lots of hurt. She was like, I don't know what would be needed. And I'm like, oh, I know what's needed because I had spent all this time working with these spiritual directors. And so I said, oh, it's pretty, I think it's pretty simple. We need, we've already got our, our statement of belief. We, I don't know, we need a code of ethics and, you know, we need some standards or what have you. <laughs> and so everybody said, yeah, let's do it. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. let's start a thing. So we started ESDA and that was in, February of 2010, I think we reached out to 20 people we knew and said, would you just be a founding member? And they were like, sure. So we wouldn't open the website with no one on it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was actually in February of 2011. It was that. 2011, right. 2011, but But this is the little piece of information that might be important to know. And I'm just sitting here understanding in a new way how pivotal this piece of information no. is okay. to the beginning of Grafted Life and ESDA. We hired Monica and Caroline Duffin, who's been our longtime administrator and now has a more expanded role with Grafted Life in August of 2010. And on the last day of August of 2010, Kurt left his job yeah. and was unemployed. Mm. And this kind of unfolded from the middle of August to the end in a very kind of traumatic mm. way. Mm. And it was scary for all of us. It was like, it was like, it was like, Kurt was our sole breadwinner for all of us. <laughs> he was holding the keys to the purse. <laughs> now, you know, clearly there's a bigger, bigger person holding the purse than Kurt, right. but it felt like that in the moment. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and so Monica's like, hey, do I still have a job? I mean, let me know because Literally. I'm just to and I need to know what to do. Okay, so so Kurt leaves his job literally like three days later, goes on a three-week intensive retreat. And while he's on that retreat, it was literally like the last couple days he was gone. I got the idea to write a series of studies that would create a three-year journey for people. I got the idea for Life with God. Yeah. Kurt comes back from that three-week retreat. He actually has, that's now like the end of September. He doesn't work in October, November, or December. He starts his new job January 1st. And that 
three month, that entire quarter, he just, he's just available and he's just helping out whatever grafted life needs. So when Monica comes and says, hey, what about starting an association for spiritual directors? That's why he was around. Mm -hmm. But look at the convergence of what God was doing. Gives us the idea for life with God. He gives us the idea for ESDA. And he provides Kurt for three months to help us get everything off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And he really did. If he hadn't been so enthusiastic, it would have been just one of those ideas that sort of sails Floats out in the ether somewhere. (laughs) Right. But all of those things, you're right. That space that we needed. And that three-week retreat was so fundamental for Kurt's part that not only was he available, he was he was not just available with his business acumen, he was available with his heart. Yes. You know. Yeah. The three so week retreat really would that would that would that wouldn't have been a normal part of Kurt's life prior to that. No, no. Yeah. In fact, right. it was really funny because he had heard about the retreat. It's a common one that a lot of Talbot students go on that are in this program. This I, I went on program. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't happen to do that one, but. But so we'd heard about it for years and he thought, oh, that would be interesting. But, you know, you're a businessman. You never think about taking three weeks off to do something like that. Then he he leaves his job. And I say, and and it's, it's you know, it's brought up some issues for him because it does have some trauma in it. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, why don't you think about doing a three week? <laughs> and then it was like, oh, <laughs> you know, like it is possible. Now, do yeah. I want to go? Yeah. He called the man that runs this retreat and he said, well, you know, I don't, I wouldn't normally have any openings, but the man that was supposed to take this three week thing, just let me know he's not going to come. Although he's known he wasn't going to come for like two months. (laughs) That would have been filled two months earlier. It would have been filled. Yeah. Yeah. And he literally left like two days later. Two days mm-hmm. later. I, I remember the shock. He was sort of spiraling. So again, it's like God weaving yeah. all these things together that was just so supernatural. Yeah. yeah. Truly. Truly. All of this has been so supernatural. And and and, and I mean, like, we the number of times we thought, how is this going to work? And God carried us through has been remarkable. Remarkable. Amen. Amen. Wow. I wonder, I'm thinking about people listening to this right now who have have similar dreams, you know, maybe somewhere they're on this journey, maybe of transitioning out of a career into something around spiritual direction or, you know, and they've got these dreams and maybe, maybe there's some hope in this conversation for them to just be like, you know, the timing and the way God holds us. And even in the the timing of things, it really is amazing to, to be able to look back and see that thread of God's um, provision, uh, wisdom, uh, love, timing, direction. And note too, while we're, we're sort of you know, shrinking the story a little bit to focus on the main players, but there was a lot of support going on. We had a council that was supporting and praying for us, a donors that were supporting and praying for us, right? Like it, it's not just done in this, you know, we're telling the, the simplified version of the messy story, um, but there are so many people that were a part of 
holding and praying and seeing us through and helping us cast a vision and a new vision and turn that vision around again, right? It got refined and refined as the days went on, as we kept listening and discerning. Mm -hmm. But what's really interesting is the life with God journey only got like refined within the initial concept, that initial concept of the three-year arc that remained. And Mm -hmm. it was just the details that we were working out Mm -hmm. and how it was going to look and play out. And the same with ESDA, right? Like the essential concept of what that is, is still there. Right. It's still running it. How many people now? Like, <laughs> we have uh, man, pushing around 900, I, I, I think, can't, like, people who on. are part of ESDA now. So from 20 in 2011, 20 people, hey, will you be part of something new with us? You're our friends. Yeah. Oh, and honestly, it was just because we wouldn't be embarrassed. It's like, we can't really launch an online thing if there isn't anybody online, you know? (laughs) So it's like, please join and put up a profile. And I want to be clear, that was also, I contacted all the other organizations that had similar ideas, the regional organizations, Mm -hmm. who I've heard talk about it. I called all of them before we went forward. Yeah. Because this is a community and it's not about anybody who wins, right? right. Like, and so I got the blessing all the way along. And even some people who gave us some pushback help refine mm-hmm. the vision even better as well. So, so again, that concept of community, like if we're going to start this thing, do we have the blessing of the spiritual formation and spiritual direction community? And, and we really did. Like a lot of them were like, yeah, we had, we think it's a great idea. We just, we're called to this region or mm-hmm. this city. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah. So, so, so that's another thing. Don't forget. There's always more people, right? more love, more prayer, the quiet yeah. ones in the corner that make all the difference. Mm-hmm. And and there are programs all over right now, spiritual right. direction, formation right. programs, good ones, solid, solid programs. Yeah. And so that means is there's there's a just so many people going through similar transforming experiences as to what we have. And um and the temptation, whether you're a spiritual director or you could be a pastor in your church trying to figure out how to how to bring more of this formational conversation in, is to feel like you're all alone. Yes. Yes. And I think that's a tactic, frankly. Yeah. Yep. You know, it, and it's a lie, yep. but it's a tactic to to say, oh, no, the world is too big. It's too much against you. You're too strange. That's one of the things that definitely ESDA was about. Our, our initial tagline was because no one should have to journey alone. Yeah, right. Because at the time, there were not that many spiritual for like spiritual directors that wanted to work in the church in these specific ways. And and. I, I swear for that first, I don't know, two years of ESDA, almost every month I got a phone call. Someone was crying mm-hmm. when they called me to say, I had no idea there were other people like me. I had no idea that that you existed, that I'm not alone out here. The good news is that's happening less and less. So I don't hear as many isolated people out there in the world, but that's 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 a lie that we need to remember. And, and again, the other thing we have to work against is this idea of competition. Mm-hmm. We're not in competition. There's plenty of work in the kingdom to go right. yes. 
and how much we really want to support each other in, yeah. in, the, in the niche that everybody has. And so this is a good place for us to pause the conversation. We encourage you to listen to part two of the interview with Debbie and with Monica. We'll unpack some of the messiness in the development process. We're also going to introduce you to other resources that were written by Debbie and by Monica and really explore them as on-ramps to our Life with God study and just encourage you to reach out to us. Maybe visit our website, www.graftedlife.org and let us know what your ministry context is. We'd love to hear uh, your heart for discipleship in your church and then kind of point you to some of the resources that we have available. We want to walk alongside you. Nobody has to be on this journey alone. Until next time, grace and peace.